this very special crossover July 4th rewatchable slash Bill Simmons podcast edition. The Bill Simmons podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Having a high IQ is important. Just look at what we're doing here. July 4th, what better day to run a giant Jaws crossover podcast? When it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You need ZipRecruiter. That's it. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. We're pretty sure this is what Amity did after they had to get rid of their mayor. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, have I told you about Hotel Tonight? I feel like I have. I'm going to do it again. Hotel Tonight, if you love to score amazing deals in incredible hotels, I don't know what else to recommend. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels, whether it's a weekend trip, a spontaneous staycation, whatever. All you have to do is book hotels in 10 seconds, three taps, and a swipe. You can even book in advance now. Get the Hotel Tonight app right now to start scoring amazing deals in incredible hotels. Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. If you need to read stuff on July 4th, check out TheRinger.com. We are NBA Free Agency, Drake, Armageddon, Director's Commentaries. We got everything on there. Brian Curtis on the decision eight years later. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. Always. We're having uh, just every month is the best month we've had for four straight months now. People seem to like the site. Thanks for spreading the word for us. Check that out. And by the way, this is a crossover podcast. So if if you like what you hear, go over and subscribe to the Rewatchables. Because this is what we do every week on the Rewatchables. We are about six weeks into a 20-episode stint right now. What we've been doing really for the last year and a half, we break down movies. I'm the host most of the time. Sometimes I'm not. Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, a bunch of Ringer staffers hop on. Wesley Morris has been on here from time to time. Rember Brown, I think, has been on. Mark Titus. So we break down movies that we love. We have categories. We try to answer questions we can't answer, and we do it every week. Check it out. Subscribe to The Rewatchables on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up right now, The Rewatchables. But first, Pearl Jam. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill a mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil Jaws. Jaws. Do we think this is the greatest movie of the last 50 years? Whew. Let's go. It's coming hot. hot, Bill. It's coming hot. Here's the swimming with bow-legged women. <laughs> Boy. It, I wouldn't it, it's not. It's not. It's not. Okay. It's not. Okay. But it is right there. And it, it might be the most rewatchable, which doesn't make it the best movie, but it might be the most rewatchable movie. 
So most rewatchable movie of the last 50 years. I, it's in the conversation. Chris it, Ryan? It is my favorite movie of the last 50 years. Okay. Oh, okay. And it is, it is like the feeling that you get from watching Jaws is the feeling that I think I chase when I go to a movie theater. Mm. Is that feeling of you get entertained, you get thrilled, you think, you're scared. Everything that you can experience inside a theater, you experience while you're watching Jaws. It's uh, untouchable. And I think it's the oldest movie that is still completely watchable right now. I watched it with my kids a couple years ago, as soon as my son was old enough to watch it. And we watched it. And reliving it through them. And first of all, it's not, not really slow like some of those movies from the 70s. It's super scary. All the same beats play really well. And the ending, the last 25, 30 minutes is just untouchable. It's, it's probably the best. There's not one thing I would change about the last 30 Oh, no. I mean, as soon as they get on the boat, anything. it's yeah. basically you forget to breathe for an hour. Yeah, they're on a boat. They're on the boat, basically, for the last it's hour two of movies. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an investigative movie on the on the beach for about an hour, and then it's on the boat for about an hour, right? When did you guys first see it? Well, I was living in Massachusetts, saw it somewhere 75, 76, and remember, you know, in the research, it backed up what I remember in Massachusetts. It actually made people afraid to go to the beach. That oh, was yeah. a real thing. Oh yeah, beach beach attendance went Maybe down. Afraid to go in the pool. Yeah, you know the beach the beach scene. We lived in Brookline, so you had to drive like about forty five minutes for water. And I remember just walking, you know, near the beach, being scared. I was, there was no way I was going in. The the ads alone just scared the fucking shit out of me. When I was a kid in like eighty six, eighty seven, this was like I didn't see it in theaters. Obviously, I was yeah. born seventy seven, but it was the what should we rent? Jaws. Let's just rent Jaws. Like in the yeah. mid 80s, in the late in the late 80s. Uh, and when I was a competitive swimmer, I used to scare myself while I was doing laps by playing the music in my head and thinking there was a shark behind me. So just I would just try faster. to swim faster. Yeah. And it was like it was like a legit psychological trick I would play on myself. I would think about like there's a shark behind me. By the way, you were a competitive swimmer? Yeah. <laughs> when, I was, when I was like young teen, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, look out for Chris Ryan and Michael Phelps' new podcast. We have similar builds. Similar builds. Can we yeah. film a swimming thing for The Ringer? Like sure. Like a swimming mini doc? I, so 75 Jaws comes out and completely transforms popular culture and actually affects behavior. 76 Rocky comes out and it's basically the same thing. People start exercising, jogging, all that stuff. 77 Star Wars comes out and creates this whole new universe for human beings and just people going over and over again. Three straight years of um, just craziness. Oh, and blockbusters. Block, and, like blockbusters. Yeah. All-time blockbusters. So, Sean, I mean, I was kind of curious about this because they always say that Jaws is where movies changed. Jaws is where, where modern yeah, movies are sure. born. Is that because people would see it, go and see it six times in a summer? I mean, what is what is the, what is it that they're talking about when they talk about how it changed the business landscape? Of well, movies? there was a particular strategy that they made the producers uh, Zanuck and Brown that was pretty revolutionary at the time, which is that they put the movie in a shitload of theaters. Most of the time in in the movie business in the previous seventy five years, essentially. Movies would come out in 12 theaters and then 18 and then 70 and then 100 and then 150. This movie went into a 450 theaters right away. So it was able to be a national phenomenon. There were well, not a lot of movies that were like that. What's crazy about that was initially it was 900. Right. And uh, Lou Wasserman, grandfather of Casey, he actually had the very astute note of, no, cut that in half. 
I want people in Boca Raton to have to drive to Hollywood, Florida to go see it. Right. So it was enough to make it a noisy news story, a national phenomenon, but not enough so that everyone could have seen it immediately. Now, when we put out Avengers Infinity War, everyone sees it that Friday. He wanted to own the summer, which you could do back then. Now, I don't think it's possible to own the summer And it was already a property that was primed to own the summer because Peter Benchley's book had been this huge beach read. And if you read Carl Gottlieb's book about the making of Jaws, he was a guy, he's, he's an actor in the movie, and worked on the screenplay. And then he kept a diary of every day of working on Jaws, pretty much from pre-production on. And he talks about like how specifically they were timing the production of the movie based on when the book was going to hit paperback. Yeah. Because the paperback book would then trigger book clubs, people reading it at the beach because they could put it in their bags and stuff. And By the this- way, I remember being scared of the book. The yeah. shark was on the cover. I remember even holding the book yeah. as, as a six-year-old and being like, ah. What's the this? book is very different. I don't know if you've read the book. The book is very different from the Well, the movie. book has, at one point, Hooper, the Richard Dreyfuss character, starts banging Mrs. Brody. <laughs> That's, That's true. in the book. Steven Spielberg specifically asked to cut that part out of the out of the movie. Good good move. Yeah. That yeah. would have that would have been a, a different rewatchable. Yeah. So this comes out, it's widely credited as creating the summer blockbuster. And I think that's a hundred percent fair, right? Pretty much accurate. I mean, there had been movies prior to this that you know, were hugely successful at the box office. I think the one thing that you hear a lot about is that Jaws kind of killed the new Hollywood. It killed that era that was kind of brought in by Easy Rider and, you know, all the Jack Nicholson films from that time and all mm. the Peter Bogdanovich movies. And this this idea that the director was the king and the creativity and eccentricity were able to thrive in Hollywood. And Jaws comes in and kind of like, it gets corporations more interested in movies. And that's kind of the, the, the downside of the movie. The upside is movies are major events. They're they're world national events. And it's like, in this case, it was it's justified. Did you know that it got postponed on Christmas? It wasn't supposed to come out in the summer? Did I, did I know that? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's supposed to come out Christmas 74. It gets postponed. And back then, the summer was the dumping ground. I was trying to figure out why that would be the case, why we wouldn't have wanted to go to movies in the summer. I wanted... When I was a kid in the 70s, I wanted to go to movies all the time. But was that more for like genre B movies and stuff in summer? Was that the playground for that? Maybe they thought like camp, maybe school was longer back then. Is that possible? I think part of it is that kids want to go outside in the summer. That was the thinking prior to this. Oh, well, because we could go outside and nobody would follow us. It was safer. Yes, it was safer. (laughs) We'd be be gone for seven hours. No, that... In the 70s, you're just like, Mom, I'll be back at six. Oh, All yeah. Right, don't forget. Yeah. Don't forget to be back for dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was out. You're just gone. Yeah. I know. My mom would get mad at me if I was in the house past 1030 a.m. She was just like, be back for dinner. I think about how my own son, Ben Simmons, the the will be more successful Ben Simmons than the other Ben Simmons. Let's hope not. That's bold. <laughs> for my sake. I'm calling it now. <laughs> now, uh, my Ben Simmons... If we lived in an era where he could just be like, I'll see you guys later, I, I don't, we'd never see him again. That'd be it. <laughs> like, Where's Ben? I thought he was it's also be back really six, weird to think gone. about it where we live, where you're just like, if your son went out and just was like in LA, like, what would he do? He'd be like, I got to get where an Uber. Go? <laughs> it's like, I'm going nine blocks away to hang out with friend. I, I'm not kidding. We used to go, we'd go to the mall, we used to go to the dump. Let's go hang out at the dump the like for an entire day. The Chestnut Hill dump. Seriously? Chestnut Hill, the what a- huge dump. We'd go look for Playboys and baseball cards <laughs> for like hours. 
you know, people throwing baseball cards in the dump. Did junk. you grow they, up in on the, the set of Stand By Me? What happened? Did you go look for a dead body? We would have like street hockey all day. Like your parents are just out. My parents were at work. I was home alone every day. So did you go to the movies when you were looking for something to do? Yeah. Well, eventually, yeah. Okay. Eventually, and they weren't movies were cheap back then. This like segue is actually this actually leads me into like what one thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie specifically. Yeah, is the three or four different lifetimes it spanned because oh, you yeah. had the initial blockbuster uh, release in the mid seventies, and then when home entertainment comes in and VHS comes in, it becomes one of like seven movies that you would find it almost at any given moment at any person's house, and if it was the de facto. Do you guys want to watch a movie? Sure. Well, we have Jaws. Or we have Goonies. Or we have whatever the other three movies are. But it was, I feel like it was on for the first 13 years of well, my life. Well, you left out some checkpoints there. Sure. Hit me up with them. First Laserdisc, 1978. Mm-hmm. First one. By the way, great choice. That would have been my number one choice for a Laserdisc, right? Yeah. If you're in 1978, that would have been oh, the yeah. first draft pick. Absolutely. I didn't know this in the research found out. ABC aired it for the first time in 1979. It attracted 57% of the total TV audience. Wow. <laughs> the second highest televised movie ever behind Gone with the Wind. 57%. I'm trying to figure out what that would be now. That would be like two Super Bowls at the same time? Yes. The Super Bowl gets what, 33, 35? How many viewers? No, the percent of the total oh, audience. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think 35. Incredible. So you have that. Then you have the VHS checkpoint. Yeah. And you're right. It was it was the one of the must-have whatevers. And then you go into the 92 to 94 range, and they started doing those v- the VHS tapes with the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. So it had those. And I think it's DVDs. also then in the last, like, I, I mean, and forgive me if my, I'm not going to have an accurate survey of when this happened, but it definitely feels like in the last 10 years, our generation of peop- of of writers about pop culture writers kind of grew up and were like, let's have like a real critical reappraisal of this might be like one of the great five films ever made if you look at it in certain ways and just a deep, deep respect for it critically. Because I think it was a crowd-pleasing blockbuster, but I don't know that we had necessarily looked at it as like, you put this up toe to toe with almost any movie, and like in a lot of technical ways, it's it's un it's unrivaled. It's got a lot of things going for it. Well, the, there's one big reason for it though. Before you go into your lot yeah. of things, the TVs. What do you mean? The last ten years, the widescreen HD, the uh, big ass. Oh yeah. Once once we had widescreen, Jaws was a different movie. It was never a totally satisfying movie on the old TVs because he shot it that huge wide the with horizon. the ocean and the boat, and you could see everything. And then all of a sudden, you had. On the uh, square TVs, you had to like kind of zoom in on it. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful movie to watch, though. Yeah, I, I I think that's one of the most beautiful movies you can put on a television, other than Robert Shaw getting malted death <laughs> and a little kid getting. Don't tell Kyle that killed. happens. Yeah. You know, this movie's rated PG. It's an amazing PG. There's nudity. How is this movie PG? Because back then it was G, PG, and R. That was it. Parental guidance suggested for a movie that features that opens with a nude woman being eaten by a shark in one of the most upsetting scenes in the history of movies. Well, she shouldn't have been out there. Okay. And <laughs> and essentially concludes with Robert Shaw literally being eaten alive. Yeah. You left out the kid. Yeah. A kid gets eaten. <laughs> and a dog. This movie is PG. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. It's uh like is this is this movie two full ratings less scary than The Exorcist? No, it's certainly I think- not. 
I actually think Quint getting eaten is might be the most disturbing death scene in any movie ever. Just pound for bound. It, it goes on for 10 more seconds than it should. Yes. He sells, like, ah, ah, he sells ah. the shit out of it. It's, it's an He's amazing kicking. performance. Blood's coming out. Then it's like, oh, they ate him. And then that second chop comes in and the blood just comes out of his mouth. Is, Don't you, skip to most rewatchable scene. Too oh, fast. it's so good. My son, I was scared when he saw it, but he, of course, loved it because he's he's a maniac. But it's really dark. What is a worse death scene than that? Again, this movie is PG. Scatman Crothers I in think, The Shining? I think, uh, What's the worst scene? I think that Sonny Corleone's up there. Oh, the guy, the toll booth. Yeah, that, but scenes, this would be the toll booth if he, if he just kept getting shot. He for does keep getting shot. Neither of those scenes booth. are bloody. When the blood appears in Shaw's mouth, I I felt like I learned a lot about the human body. You know, like yeah, I didn't right. know yeah, that yeah. that could happen. This I, I, I and just then Scheider manages. He closes the door, and the boat's just covered in blood. <laughs> like oh that scene God. is apparently. Uh, I'll step on the the internet research. There's another scene that Spielberg cut out because it was too gruesome on the July Fourth weekend. Maybe somewhere around there when uh, the shark's going for this guy's son and he jumps in front of the shark and the shark just completely mauls him. And even Spielberg was like, that's that's too much. That Jeez. can't stay Discretion in. is a huge part of the myth of this movie, right? Yeah. That's a, the fact that, you know, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But the uh, shark so I not working. You. What did I? So when I interrupt you in the TVs, what were you saying? What were the reasons? Movies need like a lot of things to become legends. They need not just to be great and fun to watch, but they need to be about mythology. So in the mythology of Hollywood, this movie becomes the first huge blockbuster. That's one. It has a really troubled production that people love to talk about because it ended up, ended up becoming it's a, a huge success. Yeah. So that's two. You've got a director who goes on to be basically the most important person in Hollywood for the next 40 years. That's three. And you've got this incredible rip-off thing that happens where this movie comes out and every movie tries to be like this. You yeah. know, Alien was sold on Jaws in Space. Jaws that in was space. how they yeah. pitched Alien to the world. So you've got those four crazy things plus awesome performances. A music score that became, nobody, Iconic. you could never have known Jaws and you would know the music. And I think it became something that is like, you you hear this a lot with um with albums, but like parents get excited for like, I can't wait to play my kid this Beatles record to show him like who I am as a person. Yeah. I think parents feel this way about Jaws. I'm sure. I know you, I did. Yeah. I have a hundred, hundred thousand. Yeah. I think that you're just like, you, I am, I have no children. I, I would have children just to show them Jaws. There are some dads that are like that with Star Wars. I know when Kyle, Nephew Kyle over there, when he successfully reproduces, he, he will be showing his spawn to Star Kyle's Wars movies. Kyle's hiding a child. <laughs> when he acknowledges. Uh, but yeah, this was one of those movies. I, I remember thinking with Ben, like, four, is it too early? Yes. <laughs> Five, still too early. Ah, six, yeah, ah, let's squeeze it in. And it's what do you think? Yeah. He loves it. I, every time it's on, they want to watch it. And I don't know how much we want to talk about Jaws 2, but the last half hour of Jaws 2 is really good. We can get to Ben's Jaws 2. Ben's also I, in on the last half hour of Jaws 2. It's time for the Jaws expanded universe. You're yeah. out. I'm out. Uh, I'm out there. I don't acknowledge any of those movies. Okay. So Peter Benchley sold the movie for 175K. In retrospect, maybe should have gotten like one Did he have hundredth any, so of a he, point. He sold the book for 475000 Yes. And he sold the movie for 175000 And at the time, he was like, I made out like a bandit. Right. Lo and behold, I mean, 
That's that's one the of the producers. Of David Brown was married to Helen Gurley Brown, Cosmo editor, book right. editor. Saw an early advance copy. They say, "Hey, what's this?" They go check it out and they lock it down. That was smart. It was smart that they knew they had a hit on their hands. I don't know enough about different advertising campaigns over the years, but apparently how they advertised this was really innovative. Like they came in $700,000, just flooded the TV, every network. There was only three to flood for three straight days to build buzz for it. 450 theaters, Sean mentioned, and just made it an event. This is June 20th, 1975. Did they have, was this a drive-thru movie too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Kind of drive-thru movies are hard to explain to the Kyle generation. Guys, they're called drive-in movies. Drive-in movies, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Well, just... What is a drive-through movie? Should we talk about that? Drive-through movies. movies, You drive up, they give you a movie, you drive away. You got Taco Bell with it? This was a drive-in movie. Uh, Troubled Shoot, you mentioned, went over budget, $9 million. $3 million devoted to the the mechanical shark that wouldn't work. First movie to make $100 million. Made almost $500 million. Over 67 million people saw it in 1975. Wild. How many people were in America in 1975? How many people voted for president? Yes, but 250 million. It's gonna be like one third or one fourth of America saw this movie. Spielberg, he made Duel for TV, which is really good, by the way. That one still holds up too. It's super dated, but strong. Sugarland Express, and then this was his third movie. I don't even know what the parallel is to that. You could argue this is the best movie he ever made. There's a conversation. I think most people do this in Raiders. No, you and I both landed on Jaws. We yeah. did a podcast about this, and we both landed yeah. on Jaws. I don't know if it's his most artistically accomplished movie. It's his best movie, though. It's definitely his best movie. It does all the things that he essentially sets out to do in his career. It has some really innovative touches that allegedly, apparently, they still teach in like film schools and stuff. Oh, like yeah. the famous Brody shot when he realizes something happened in the water and the, the camera moving forward as everything pans back, like some of the underwater stuff. That stuff wasn't happening in 1975. No, I mean, he was, he was, there was a no genius. Underwater, like, literally training his brain for 15 years as a preteen to figure out how to make movies like this. Put himself up for this too, this movie. You know, he, he wasn't the first choice for this movie. Right. And, and he, he begged on. Oscars, one for best score, best sound, best editing. Lost best picture. I have all the nominees here, Chris Ryan. Do you know what to what, Chris? I don't know. It was lost in 75. I'm sure it's not going to be too impressive. No, it is. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's a I'd tough st- one. I'd still say Jaws is a Take way better Jaws. movie than that. Yeah. R.I.P. Milos Forman. Mid-70s defensible. It hasn't aged the same way that Jaws has aged, but that's a really good movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, the other nominees that year were Dog Day Afternoon, Barry Lyndon, and Nashville. That's a fucking unbelievable yes. lineup of movies. <laughs> Those are five of like my 38 favorite movies. That's incredible. Well, it gets better because Spielberg wasn't nominated for Best Director. Yeah. He got shut out by Milos Forman, Fellini... Sidney Lumet, Stanley Kubrick, and Robert Altman. That's the insane. Gauntlet. That's the gauntlet. <laughs> That's why people care about the Oscars, man. What's what? Fellini? Was it Satyricon? What's 75? That one. Satyricon. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why people care. Because you can, you can get into a final four like that. That top five for directing is, has to be the number one top five that's ever that's happened. That's way right? up there. For Spielberg to get cut out? Way up there. Holy mackerel. And Foreman won, right? Foreman won. That used to happen back then, though. Movies would just sweep, sweep. everything. Yeah, that's a famous movie, and they did, that movie did sweep. Louise Fletcher won that year, and Nicholson. Oh right, yeah. Who got nominated out of Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss? Shaw, zero, no nominations. Interesting, tough one. Roy Scheider, he rips off Jaws, Marathon Man, 
the sorcerer draws to and all that jazz basically goes four for five, but in a really big way. I still like Jaws too. I know you don't defend it. You're saying that's the one that didn't hit though, right? No, the sorcerer. Sorcerer is amazing. Sorcerer is incredible. I don't know if I've seen that one. Bill, in like since it came out. Do you know what the setup for the sorcerer is? I I remember there's crazy stories about it, but you would dig this. All right. It's 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 basically a, a group of criminals who get hired to drive trucks through South America filled with like unstable chemicals that might explode at any moment. And they have to drive through mudslides and over rickety bridges, all while being chased by dirty cops through a South America. I would love that. Why is it on television? It has. So go ahead. I was just going to say, it was just a really troubled production and it was had a really difficult time with the film company that produced the it, movie. It was recut. There's a um, Tangerine Dream score oh. that is mind-blowing. Pre-Michael Mann grabbing Tangerine Dream to do scores. Holy mackerel. Freakin did this. This is Freakin's first movie after The Exorcist. Yeah. It's his, then, it was his dream movie. It was a remake of so uh, good. The Wages of Fear. And then if you go backwards, he's in French Connection, which he's- Yes. Which yes. Is when he can, I, can I just give and a shout out? And he's in Still of the Night with Meryl Streep, which is a really kind of solid thriller. All That Jazz is one of the best performances of the 70s. And I, I, I really say good. that knowing I'm talking about- Al Pacino and Dog Day and Godfather and, and everybody else that we're talking about, all that jazz is an incredible performance. It's an amazing movie. I remember uh, I had lunch with William Goldman once. That's not a name drop. This this is going somewhere, I swear. It is a name drop, though. Well, it is, but <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Why wasn't Roy Scheider, why why wasn't his why wasn't his prime 25 years instead of nine years? He's like, I don't know. He's like, he was as good as anybody that decade. Like you look at his work in those movies, like he was probably the best leading man we had. Like he beat out, I don't want to step on uh, the, the what's the cast, casting what ifs, but he beat out some major dudes for yeah, his parts. Spielberg want, saw something in him. I think there's something about what Scheider does in the, especially in the mid seventies here, where his, probably his humility, humility, or at least his willingness to be the second banana to Gene Hackman and French Connection, Dustin Hoffman and Marathon Man, kind of to Sh- to Shaw and Dreyfus, they have flashier parts and Jaws. Yeah, all that jazz is the one where he really is. He goes for going it. for it, and he's he's great in it. But you know, in French Connection, it's mostly you're watching for Hackman, even though Scheider is great. And in Marathon Man, it's Laurence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman. He's only in like. 25 minutes of that movie. He's really good in that movie. He's though. incredible in that movie. Yeah, it's... He just, he has an, he's, has an everyman thing where he's not that handsome. You know, he doesn't necessarily seem like the... He's handsome enough. He doesn't seem like the smartest guy. He's a little bit um, provincial. He really He's a really good New Yorker transplanted to a beach community yeah. in this movie. He's very unassuming. Doesn't have to be in charge even though he's in charge. He's just, a, he's a really good leading man. There's not a lot of guys like him right now. So, you're gonna like this. I wish Wesley Morris was here because he'd get super excited. Michael Douglas basically had the career Roy Scheider should have had. Interesting. Same kind of parts and everyman type thing and the everyman who gets in a predicament. Michael Douglas. And he just had, there were more movies for him to do that. But every movie Michael Douglas was the star of, Roy Scheider could have been the star of from But the Roy 70s. Scheider never really plays a shitbag. And Michael Douglas' but I, best but roles, he, he's like a real sleaze bucket, right? Or now, or I mean, not or China Syndrome, but in Basic Instinct, he's kind of dirty. In Wall Street, dirty. No, dirty. it's more like he's he's a likable person who made a mistake. Wall Street's the only time he plays like a bad guy. That's an interesting question. I just think Michael Douglas is a little too handsome. Like I was looking at Roy Scheider while watching the movie last night, and I was like, he just kind of looks like one of my uncles. 
He just yeah, kind of looks like a guy that, from New that York. works for the movie. It does. Yeah. It does. Like it's 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 an interesting thing about I I wonder if Roy Scheider was like cool old in the 70s and then just got old old in the 80s in terms Maybe. of physically. Yes. He's good in 52 pickup though in the 80s. You yeah. ever see that with Anne yeah. Margaret? That's a great movie. His 80s career wasn't good. I was looking at the IMD. It wasn't like he wasn't acting. He also had he a run in the 90s away. in those like late night straight to HBO action movies when he was cash and checks. Roy Scheider. Yeah, that's he, I don't I pretend that doesn't happen. Tough times. Those are t- <laughs> hard times. I love Roy Shatter, though. And I think he's really good in Jaws 2. That's the last time I'm bringing up Jaws 2. I think he's good in Jaws 2 as well. Jaws 2, very good stats. Is there a Jaws High PR, two? big usage rate. Let's hit the categories. But first, a break. Let's take a break to talk about our friends at Gillette. I was lucky enough to go to their headquarters seven, eight weeks ago and was just blown away. It's in South Boston. It's a company that's been around for so long. They were advertising baseball games of like 1910. They've been deeply integrated, not just in sports, but with uh, soldiers that fought in World War One and World War Two. with NASA. It's a company that has intersected with our culture in just about every way. And the biggest reason for that is the meticulous care they put into their razors. The technology they have that is so amazing that NASA was actually like, hey, can we get in on this? Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy, regardless of his personal style, skin needs, or budget, whether you want three blades or five. The Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors have you covered all under $10. High performance at a very low price. Get Gillette Performance delivered to your door, and you can find Gillette 5 or any razor you want at GilletteOnDemand.com. Once again, that is GilletteOnDemand.com. Subscribe today to our friends at Gillette. They needed they needed a nice razor to fight off the shark and jaws. Let's get back to that. All right, most rewatchable scene. This is an unfair category because this is the most entertaining movie of the last fifty years. You could pick a hundred scenes. I have two honorable mention nominees and then four nominees, and then if you guys want to add one, or five nominees. I'm sorry, if you want to add one, that's great. Uh, the girl getting pulled under at the beginning is just great, phenomenal. That's an honorable mention. Honorable mention. Okay. Dry fist scuba diving and running into the guy's head, <laughs> which we can talk about a little bit. Uh, the five nominees, the 4th of July shark attack and the and the woman running out and her son doesn't come back from the water is just gut-wrenching. It's just great stuff. The son mimicking uh, Scheider at the table is my favorite scene in the movie. I don't, I'm not going to make the case for most rewatchable, but... That's the one where if, if you leave that movie, you're like, the director's really good at this. That's good Spielberg. things are going to happen that's for the director. Yeah, yeah, that's just like a classic Spielberg scene. I, my, my most rewatchable scene is not that, but it's the same reason. Okay. The same rationale. Uh, the Indianapolis monologue. Quint dying. And just the last, like, I don't know, nine minutes when he kills the shark and then Richard Dreyfuss pops up and they laugh and Quint, head shake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's paddle back. It's just so good. My, it's perfect. My honorable mention is when Hooper brings the two bottles of wine over to the house and uh, Brody's basically tying one on and he he's like, he opens it up. He's like, you might want to let that breathe. And he pours half the bottle of wine into like basically a pint glass. And they talk about how that, you know, that he's just basically like, I'm going to go and join this this other crew tomorrow, but I'm going to leave knowing that that shark is still out there. Yeah. And he's like, I have to make a report. And that the, the dynamic between Hooper, Brody, and Brody's wife is so great. The character beats are so great. The exhaustion on the face of Brody is so great. I always rewatch that scene. 
and it, and it could have ended with with Brody passing out and Hooper having sex with the wife on the table. <laughs> Spielberg didn't want any part of it. <laughs> the wife's really good in this movie. Lorraine Gray. And she's actually pretty good in the second movie. And then she's they great in the second they film. They pushed the envelope with Joss 3D and not as good at that movie. No, very, very famously, Sid Sheinberg, the longtime Hollywood executive's wife, and <laughs> yes. uh, Sheinberg worked closely with Spielberg over That's the years. That's the best case of nepotism in the 70s. The worst case is John Travolta's co-star in Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Karen Lynn Gorney, who got cast by whoever the producer was in the thing. And yeah, that's not good. Single-handedly keeps that movie from being an A+. Plus. Um, I would also want to nominate the meet the town hall meeting yeah. after uh, the July 4th attack when, when we first meet Quint. Yeah. Everything I, I would generally nominate any time Murray Hamilton, who plays the mayor, is on screen. He's just th- he's throwing. We'll get. I'm sure we'll get to him at some point. Yeah, he's Murray's throwing coming. 101 the whole movie. He's so funny and so good. But Quint doing the whole. I'll catch him for three three, but yeah. I'll you know I'll kill him for ten and that whole thing. Yeah. And bad fish. That's and a all, good the, scene. all those lines are great. Good call. What's most rewatchable, Chris? July Fourth. I love as soon as the sun sets, everything that happens on the boat, Indianapolis speech, but everything that happens. Oh, the, the scars. Yeah. 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 That's my favorite. That we, was the most fun rewatching it. 1100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13 footer. You know, you know that when you're in the water, chief, you tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Well, we didn't know. Which our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. <laughs> I love Robert Shaw. I've always loved Robert Shaw. I'm going to step on half-assed internet research because I have some info on how they did that scene. Quite a bit of controversy around that scene, around the authorship of that scene. Net, not resolved. Not resolved. People think Shaw ad-libbed most of it. Other writers claim to write. I don't want to go. It's too complicated to go I mean, into. William, but. William Sackler, who's a playwright, was hired very early on. He's a guy who wrote The Great White Hope. And he came up with the idea to do a speech about the Indianapolis and that Quint was on the Indianapolis. And then John Milius was involved, maybe. Maybe Robert Shaw wrote it himself. That guy Gottlieb was maybe in there. Gottlieb, who was on set yeah. rewriting the movie the whole time. I mean, the, who ultimately wrote it? Shaw himself was a playwright and, yeah. and a novelist. So here, this is from a half-assed internet research coming up later. Shaw attempted to do the monologue while intoxicated as it called for the men to be drinking late at night. Nothing in the take could be used. A remorseful Shaw called Spielberg late that night and asked if he could have another try. The next day of shooting, Shaw's electrifying performance was done in one take. I think I believe all of that. I go with that. Yeah, Makes sense. that sounds... I could see Robert Shaw being like, I'm going to do this drunk. Ah, this is how it should go. And just being a complete train wreck. Now, if there's footage of that, I would like to see it. That should be on the internet. He's dead. Put it on. Robert Shaw was a a very big alcoholic and died at 51 (laughs) years old. He looks like he's 70 in this movie. I got to say, you're right. Yeah. He looks like he is blood alcohol level Narragansett in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, when I was doing the research and I noticed that he died when he was three years older than me and he filmed this movie when he was like my age, I was like, oh my God. It's pretty crazy. Either I'm super old or Robert Shaw is aged like in dog years. Yeah. And only and the reason the only reason he's in the movie is because he was so good in The Sting, which was produced by Brown and Zanuck. 
and they suggested him for it. But in this thing, he looks like a million dollars. He looks really young. He looks old as hell in this movie. Well, when when you're drinking and smoking every day, every night, and, and from Russia, nephew Kyle, I'll tell you, mm-hmm. nephew Kyle's right would love, there. Do, Robert Shaw looks like Daniel Craig looks now. Like he looks, it's crazy to see him in that in the, the Bond movie. What's your what's your most rewatchable scene? I'm always in for the last from when Quint dies all the way through. Mm-hmm. Smile, I just you think son of a bitch. That whole thing is so good. And then uh, Dreyfus popping up. But um, just for pure, like, one scene, I still like him in the sun. Give us a kiss. Why? Because I need it. Mm-hmm. I really like that scene. That's a good father-son scene. It yeah. makes my heart warm. It's just good. It's just it's the kind of scene that just doesn't happen anymore. Movies don't have those scenes. They don't care about character development where there's like, you know, three lines of dialogue and just people playing off each other. Not to get all artsy fartsy. Uh, what's age the best? I try to narrow this down, but you feel free to throw in ones. John Williams' score. Quint and the Hitchcock move of filming the shark. Those are three, and then I'm going to add just in terms of actually aging the best, what we mentioned earlier with the TVs and the HD and how that has given this movie, in my opinion, a completely different life. Because if you watch this movie now and you have a, like a 65-inch TV and widescreen and HD and you're streaming on Netflix, like it's like you're in the ocean. Yeah. It's, just, it's the best thing that ever could have happened in this movie. So what else would you add? I would, I would throw in just the general way it captures summer at a beach town, mm. both in terms of the power base being really like business leaders, a mayor who probably has a little too much power, a police chief who's just like trying to coast through my like second half of my life with some right some ease. And then that feeling of like everything that happens in this island happens in three months. And everything is like sort of geared towards this community that arrives en masse on a boat. And there's something very, it's at once you know, really exciting, but it's almost like a little bit claustrophobic, a little bit paranoid. We're all stuck on this island. And those three months are so important that the the mayor is willing to jeopardize. Yeah, and you think about it, you just think about it. I remember, you know, being like, I remember working at swim clubs and stuff as a lifeguard. And it's just like the entire summer is kind of building towards July 4th. And then there's this lull and then it goes back up towards Labor Day. But it's really like, it captures the feeling of summer and the arc of summer really well, I think. The only other thing I can remember doing that pop culture standpoint is the 90210 summer when Brandon worked at the beach club. Yeah, definitely. That was the second one I was going to say. Volleyball. It was either that or Jaws. I don't I don't remember. Does Chris Ryan look like Juliet Littman to you? <laughs> no, I got confused <laughs> okay. for a second. Um, Give me the Long Island take on this, well, Sean. Well, I was going to say. Amity, Amity, was it Amity, New York or Amityville, New York? Amityville is a town on Long Island, which is where the Amityville which is house Amityville was. Horror. Amity was the fake Jaws town. Yes, Amity is the fake town. But Amity, I think the three of us, three East Coast guys, three guys who probably spent our summers going to the beach. My yeah. dad lived on the beach. Um, Jersey Shore, Long Island. Jersey Shore, Cape. Long Island. Cape Cod. Or, you know, I mean, so Amity feels to me like a combination of Montauk and Cape Cod. Like that, yes. those two, where it's sort of like, it's really nice, but there's also something kind of old and and broken down about it at the same time and the movie shot at Martha's Vineyard and I don't know I mean it's just very relatable I I was at the beach all the time as a kid and it it just felt like the excitement and anxiety that Chris is talking about where it's like you're in a wide open space but somehow it feels really small Yeah. yeah Simmons family Cape Week every year which is happening right now actually I'm not there 
But we went in the late seventies. We used to stay always in like Hyannis, Falmouth, place like that. And we went to go visit Martha's Vineyard for the day. And to that was the first time I realized like, oh, you realize Jaws was filmed there. It's like, what? I'd only seen it a couple of times. Yeah. Like we didn't have cable and all that stuff. But I still remember walking around and seeing like where they filmed the July 4th massacre, basically. And be like, yeah, that's the beach. And be like, oh my, oh, that's the sandbar. And just being completely freaked out. But- yeah, it is Martha's Vineyard, but it doesn't feel like that in the movie. No, and I feel like all of those communities, Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod, Montauk, the Hamptons, even the Jersey Shore to some extent, mm-hmm. 40 years ago were quaint. You know, they were small. They were modest. They were fa- towns where families went for a week on vacation. Yeah. Now they're like big business. You know, they're booming. They're like metropolises. Well, that's what you could still buy a house like on the freaking water. For yeah, and the people who could buy houses back then had normal jobs. Right. You know what I mean? Like exactly. there were teachers and sanitation workers, guys who worked for the city. You know, my mom, teachers had summers off. They would have to go find a thing to do with your kids. When I was rewatching the movie last night, I was noting to my wife that if you look at how Spielberg moves the camera, especially in the early scenes when we're seeing Scheider's character, he does this amazing job of just showing you what the town looks like. The camera's following him walking around after that first attack and just shows you like these houses are pretty small. The white picket fences that the kids are karate chopping, you know, that's very small stuff. It's not it's not this like um, testament to wealth, which is what a lot of those places are now. That's fair. Anything else age the best for you guys? The mm-hmm. whole, uh, other than the whole movie, the music's really high. It's, cr- I mean, it's two notes, two notes that do all the work. It's F and F sharp. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, it's the it's the never seen the shark for most of the movie because I do feel like that became an iconic way to do a horror movie where it's like don't reveal. Yeah. The, uh, the villain yet or don't reveal whoever. But the funny thing is it wasn't intentional. The, the sh- mechanical shark was so bad they had to kind of audible on the fly. And Spielberg even now says it was a godsend. Godsend. Which brings us to, uh, would you have for what stage the best? The summer stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm going music. Okay. Uh, what stage the worst? The mechanical shark. There's two scenes with it where we've talked about this before about is it okay to CGI just to at least get over the hump of- well, What are the two? Quinn is one, I assume. Quinn's death. No, there's just two scenes where the, the shark's kind of up there and it's so clearly not a shark. Which, well, do you, do you know which well, one Well, it's not what he's chumming. Two times it when he's halfway out of the water. Yeah, he's like, when he's like, come back and so- shovel some of this shit, what does he say when he's throwing this stuff into the ocean and it comes up yeah, on the back? Yeah, he comes up. Yeah. Uh, you that- don't think it looks good? Yeah, they could CGI Because I think that, that that has such that iconic shot of Shider whipping his head up and then the camera cap stops on him and he's got this shocked look on his face that even if the shark doesn't look that good, you're only thinking about Chief Brody. You're not thinking about the shark at that moment. The only time it really, really bothers me rewatching it, especially on a big TV in my house now, is Quinn getting eaten. I'm like, that's a big piece of latex. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't look like anything. Like, why is it stuck on the, the, the mask? Its of the mechanics are really way? bad in the. In yeah, that. it's not good. Yeah. They had a lot of issues with the shark. But Bill was too busy thinking about lungs getting punctured for the first time in his young life. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then the other one that jumped out to me for what's age the worst, no minorities at all. Yeah, it's weird. Now, on the, sometimes I think we overreact with this stuff because that movie's about Amity, Long Island. Maybe they didn't have minorities in the town that they wrote about. But I think if they do this movie over again, which I, I'll throw my body in front of it and all of us will. I don't think there's any way Hooper's not black. 
Yeah. Or you could argue maybe even Brody's black. The one thing like I, they're having a black person, and it's just it, the movie's too white. It really does stand out when the you. The one watch. thing I read, I mean, I, it's an imaginary community, so it's hard to say. But people have pointed out that there's not a single single woman in the movie, other than Mrs. Brody. Mrs. Brody's not and single. The mom. There's no. They're oh, all, not a single it's woman. All matriarchs and kids. And the only single woman in the movie gets eaten at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I was going to say, I think she's though. single. I think she yeah. would call herself yeah. single. Um, that kid from Greenwich probably wishes she wasn't before she <laughs> got right. eaten. But there's been like a lot of commentary around the idea of the fact that, I mean, it's a very masculine movie. The bulk of the time is spent with the guys on a ship. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, politically, is it really that, it's not really very offensive. No, it's just a white movie. Yeah. I've no, I just noticed it the last time I watched, which was probably... I don't know, four months ago. It's been on Netflix for a while. All right, it's time for Casting What Ifs, presented as always by ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons podcast, having a good movie IQ. Very important. Just look at the decision Spielberg made in this movie. Roy Scheider. He knew what he was doing. Well, when it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You need ZipRecruiter. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS, or you can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash rewatch. Whatever you want to do, knock yourself out. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. Robert Duvall turned down Brody. Why? He wanted to play Quint. <laughs> too young. Spielberg said too young. Too young in 75. Robert Duvall is Brody. Robert Duvall's had a couple of sliding doors career moments. Wanting too much money for Godfather 3, I think was a really bad move for him. <laughs> I don't think it really screws no. up Godfather 3. No, but I think, hot take, I think Godfather 3 would have been good. I think they had to throw away that script and redo the whole thing because he wasn't in it. No. And now all of a sudden Sofia Coppola is more involved. I'm telling you. No. I'm a Godfather 3 defender. It no. is not a good movie. But I think that Andy Garcia role, they had to pump that up. It was just a bad move. He would have been awesome in that. Duval is well within his rights to say no to that. I, he I, wanted like six million bucks. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm glad he's not in Jaws. I, I think So him as Brody, you're too young? What would have been your He's not a bad Brody. He definitely is too young for Quint. He's not New York enough. You would have felt oh, like I it think was he's too New York. Scheider feels like Long Island to you. He feels like New York City. He feels like Queens. Yeah. And you need that. You need that like paranoia going on the water when you're from New York City because you're not used to that experience. Yes. I'm going to convince you guys on Godfather 3 at some point. With Duval, I think that's a good movie. I agree with you. And, and by the way, wasn't that far away from being a good movie, even though I don't acknowledge it. There's like an hour long thing about the papal election. It's, there's a lot movie. of weird choices in that movie. Uh, Sofia Coppola has gone on to have an amazing career as an artist and director. She's. It's one of the worst performances in the history of movies. It's insane that she's. Yeah, in that the movie. Winona What If for Godfather. Well, there's a lot of What Ifs with that movie. That's my point. Uh, she skipped on the internet, which is her biggest win. If Godfather Three came out in like 2002 when the yeah. internet was forming, Sophia's in trouble. She dodged a bullet. Lee Marvin and Sterling Hayden turned down Quint. God, I would have loved to see Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden Sterling would have Hayden. been really interesting as Quint. And his whole thing, and the reason why he had to turn it down was because he basically was like a tax fugitive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not that Robert Robert Shaw is much better. Uh, Oliver Reed turned down Quint. Mm-hmm. Spielberg wanted John Voigt for Hooper. 
So glad that didn't also happen. came close with Kevin Klein as Hooper. That, that would have really early for Kevin Klein, but that would have worked. I didn't really see any other Brody candidates unless you guys heard. I, there were, I looked. There were others for Hooper, right? But not Brody. It seemed like he settled on Roy Scheider. Oh, uh, Charlton Heston was the other one. Yeah, Heston expressed interest. He would have been too masculine, too powerful, too confident. Mm-hmm. You know, Scheider's able to be a little bit more low key. But so, Hooper, it's like Timothy Bottoms. Yeah, Joel Gray, Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges, right? Yeah, Joel Gray would have been weird. Charlton Heston was so annoyed with being rejected for the role of Brody that he later made disparaging comments about Steven Spielberg and vowed never to work with him. <laughs> that worked out well for Charlton Heston. Silent Gray! <laughs> uh, that's it for casting what ifs. The shark was originally played by a not terrible shark. Dion Waiters <laughs> Award. The nominees, the honorable mention nominees. We know who this one's going to. Quint not eligible, by the way. He's in too much of the movie. Mrs. Kintner. <laughs> Two strong scenes. I mean, yeah, that's right. She's looking around for a kid in the one scene. Plays it's a real that Kendrick nice. Perkins, like, comes in, starts a fight, is Beats out. the shit out of Roy Scheider, and then she's out. <laughs> 10 minutes, 11 points, no rebounds. The other honorable mention nominee, Ben Gardner's head. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's good. Great one. We'll get into the story of that in a little bit. But the, the obvious winner, uh, beloved performance, we haven't even talked about him yet. Murray Hamilton is oh the mayor. Oh, my God. He's in how many scenes? Maybe four? Yeah, four or five. It's coming in hot. The long tracking shot to introduce him on the ferry, right? Where it's Well, it's not even a tracking shot, right? It's a stationary shot with the ferry, but you see the whole world change behind these guys, and he's talking to him about the politics of the beach community. My favorite Mayor Vaughn scene, though, is when he's like... Uh, you know, he's like, this is not the time or the place to perform some kind of half-assed autopsy <laughs> on a fish. <laughs> and I'm not going to stand here and see that thing cut open and see the little Kittner boys spill out all over yeah. the dock. Oh Incredible. He's so evil and yet somehow likable at the same time. They know exactly when to be like, let's take this guy out of the movie. Yeah. Martin, it's all psychological. You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. That's like built for a trailer. You need those like two yeah. sentence lines where you're yeah. like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. And that is just totally one of those lines. The movie just takes off after that moment. What was the Murray Hamilton backstory before this movie? Because he's become that guy from Jaws. But he was actually a real actor who had done stuff. But I just, it was before my time. Yes. So uh, I believe Murray Hamilton got hired because Steven Spielberg loved him in The Graduate. And he's got that mm. very famous speech oh, in, the that's right. he's in The Graduate. Um, he was in a lot of movies in the 50s and 60s. He's in some like Doris Day movies and he's in um, he's in The he, Hustler. You could tell he peaked way early because the IMDb picture of him is like 20 years earlier, Murray Hamilton. Yeah, he's also yeah. on like every single TV show from the 70s. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. in like the, the FBI story with Jimmy yeah. Stewart. He was, yeah. he was in a lot of movies at that time. But and then he was in The Drowning Pool and Rich Man, Poor Man. Like he actually had like a, another renaissance in the 70s after Jaws. This is such a great part. It's kind of amazing nobody's remade this movie, and I think that speaks to the ultimate legacy of how great this movie is. This is one of those movies that you could just you could just picture somebody at the peak of their powers, like Brad Pitt, being like, "What's next? Yeah, I'm gonna remake Joe or like Crazy Johnny Depp." But it, like, it also, I want to be I want to be Brody. It also like you know you talked about how they basically you know they've never remade Jaws, but they've basically kept making Jaws after this because of Alien and Aliens. Yeah. And in every Jaws ripoff movie, there is a Mayor Vaughn. Like it's yes. Paul Reiser and Aliens. It's the 
It's the guy who's like, well, like, wait a second, guys. Are we sure this is all bad? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the guy in Jurassic Park who gets killed in the bathroom. It's there's always like a politician or an accountant or somebody who's like, eh, this could be good for business. You know, since it, since we're talking about Mayor Vaughn, though, can we yeah. talk about what actually he's doing? Like what how important is it to get these people on the beach that he's like willing to sacrifice lives? This so is a nitpick, that, but this, this was going to be in uh, Pick and Nits. In the book, the mafia is blackmailing him to keep the beach open. Ah. And in the movie, they couldn't fit in the mafia subplot. I don't think they need it. I, I think it makes sense either. because it's, you only, I think he's thinking, and look, this is also back, but you have to remember that this is a time when like, this would not have gone viral. Like, you know what I mean? This would have been on page 16 of some right. newspaper. Shark eats somebody. You know, it's like, oh, shark attack. But if you make it into a panic, that's it for the summer. And if it's for, if for the summer, it could be it for everything. It could be it for certainly your career, but if not, multiple businesses. And I, I'm not saying like, I'm not identifying with Mayor yeah, Bonner, like you are. But I'm making the case for why he does the way he does it. This and, should have been a, a ringer explainer. Why he Mayor Vaughn wasn't the, a bad okay, guy. Okay, I'm making the case. Vote Vaughn. I mean, like, what do you want from me? I think this guy's got a good platform. It's pro business. We don't. We thought we caught the shark. Prove to me we didn't. Wow. When did you start writing for the Federalist? That was phenomenal. Uh, shout out to Ben Gardner's head. Great. So half-assed internet research, which I'm going to jump into right now. Spielberg decided he was greedy for one more scream after he had gotten to like the almost the last cut. Reshot the scene in which Hooper discovers Ben Gardner's body. For those of you listening, that's the scene when Dreyfus is scuba diving. Really for not, n- not a good reason. Not murky reasons. Yeah. It was just an excuse to get one more scary scene and goes in the boat and the waterlogged head of that dude pops up. And it is scary for the 98th time. Yes. It's never not scary. I never don't get scared when that head doesn't come up. Great eyeball acting by Richard Dreyfus in this movie. Great. Both when his eyes blow up yeah. and when Jaws approaches and when he's in the cage later in the movie too, you're like, whoa. He has some good scuba diver screams. Yeah. <laughs> so Spielberg used $3,000 of his own movie after Universal refused to pay for the reshoot. It was shot in uh, somebody's swimming, pe- <laughs> swimming pool in Encino. <laughs> and they used a life cast latex model of the head attached to a fake body. And to simulate the murky waters of the Martha's Vineyard, powdered milk was poured into the pool. Sounds like a new Ringer HQ. Which was then covered in a tarp. I have more half-assed internet research for this movie than I think we've ever had. Spielberg tried to get out of this movie at one point. Do you know that? No. He did not want to be typecast as the truck and shark guy and tried to jump to direct Lucky Lady for a different studio and Universal blocked him. Can I give you a little uh, note on Lucky Lady? Yeah. I assume you guys probably haven't seen it. No. It's a weird Stanley Donnan movie uh, starring Liza Minnelli, Burt Reynolds, and Gene Hackman. It's kind of lost the time. It was a hit when it came out. But the reason that movie matters is because George Lucas visited the set of Lucky Lady and basically picked off the whole crew to make Star Wars. It was a British group of people. Really? It was like a Pinewood or whatever? Movie, and, it, and, and he basically hired all of them to make that movie. No way. There you yeah. go. Good knowledge. Almost, almost a Steven Spielberg directed movie. Spielberg insisted on shooting in the Atlantic Ocean in Martha's Vineyard because the floor of the ocean was 35 feet. So if the mechanical shark fell to the bottom, right. they could go get so it. So they and had to, like and they had like essentially a miniature version of like an oil rig 
that they used to, they had to like lower this rig into the water every day. And every day, basically the production of Jaws was a 24 seven operation of if it wasn't being put in or out of the water, it was being industrial dried and then repainted and then the paint being dried like every single night. So they literally worked 24 hours a day for something like six months out there with all sorts of conditions of the East Coast summer. No, to nobody's surprise, Spielberg admits now that uh, he should have done it in a giant Hollywood water tank. But he didn't know any better. He yeah. was, and by the way, it's what makes the movie it great is so that they real. didn't do it in a water tank. It feels so, when they're out on the water, it feels so real. It feels so real, but disgruntled crew members nicknamed the movie Flaws. <laughs> Shooting at sea led to many delays, unwanted sailboats drifting in the frame. Cameras got soaked. Crew members were sunburned and covered in salt. And one time the orca pretty much sank with the actors on board. <laughs> and it was a 55-day shoot that went three times as long. So it was an absolute nightmare by this all is accounts. A, this is a bit from the Jaws log, which is Carl Gottlieb's book about the making of the movie. We'll call it half-assed offline research because mm. it's it's just a book. But you know, you were talking about we had, you'll throw your body in front of any remake of Jaws. One movie I would watch is apparently because they were there. It was real like they were basically there was a May September thing. A lot of island romances. Oh, a movie about the making of Jaws? A movie about people who fall in love. Like, it was a lot of guys who were working as Teamsters or working as, like, on the crew of Jaws. Netflix meeting, series. Meeting women who are working seasonally in bars on Nantucket. I think that would be a great... I would totally watch that. I love it. Ted Sarandos, you listening? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you know, you have, like, somebody playing Dreyfus and somebody playing Shire and somebody playing Shaw and Spielberg. Shaw's, and they're in the background. But oh, Shaw's, Shaw's in. He's but it's at the basically Adventureland while making Jaws. I mean, who says it. no to that? It's a great idea. Chris, you, you, uh, you, you amaze me over and over again. <laughs> Every time I think you've amazed me the most, you do it again. It went from 52 days to 155 days. That's a long time, Not man. good. On that the last, <laughs> that's a lot. This is amazing. And I almost thought this was half-assed internet research. So I Googled it and apparently this was true. Before the last day of shooting, Spielberg heard rumors of that he was going to get pranked from his mutinous crew because they hated him so much by the end of the movie. So for the last shot, the blowing up, up of the shark when it was being filmed, Spielberg left the set and went to Los Angeles because he was so afraid he was going to get pranked by everybody. <laughs> was not there for the last day. Oh, that's shoot. right. He like gets into a waiting car and then the car takes him to a He's waiting out. plane. Yeah. Spielberg always wins. Yeah. It's an amazing thing for the really the first big big break of his career to go so badly because everything about Spielberg now is how he's the greatest guy to work with. He's the most professional. Well, maybe he's he learned a savant. from this. I mean, yeah. he obviously learned a lot from this, but the way he's been able to manipulate this story in very smart ways, like there's a there's a documentary about the making of this movie that's as long as the movie called The Making of Jaws. It was on that laser disc you pointed out. And yeah. I think it was made for that laser disc. It's one of the best making of documentaries ever, not because it's, it's like on YouTube. FYI. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and everyone's interviewed in it too. Everyone's which is in rare. it. That's why it's so good. There's yeah. so many things that could have gone. I mean, they were there's a there's this great documentary that I saw when I was like in a, a teenager. I don't know. I think it's on Vimeo, but I don't know if it's available. It's called Visions of Light. It's this documentary about the history of American cinematography and Michael Chapman, who I think was the camera operator on Jaws. But Jaws has this absolute like murderer's row of camera operation talent who all wound up being great cinematographers in their own right. Chapman talks about how when they first talked about shooting this, and he had, he you know. Uh, he would go on to do Raging Bull, but like Chapman was like, Spielberg wanted to nail the camera down. He wanted to have everything on tripods with like long lenses so that you could see everything. And he was like, if you nail this camera down on boats, people are going to be throwing up in the aisles. Yeah. Because it would, 
the horizon would just keep tilting with the water. And that's what Spielberg's original idea was. Can you imagine everybody just seeing Jaws and oh curling? You know, and then like that's why they did everything so handheld and moving around so that they could keep a kind of equilibrium with the movie. But you imagine what would have happened if they had been able to show the shark the whole time and it was all tripod. It's so funny too, because when you're on the boat, it really feels like it's on a swivel. You yeah. know, the camera's moving around all the time. It's going up and down and around. And if it were stationary, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. You would be sick, like you said. A lot more half-assed internet research coming up. First, let's take a break. Hey, let's talk about Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka, the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, no additives, recognized for quality. Belvedere named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 16, and 17. Their unparalleled quality reminds me a little bit of the run that Steven Spielberg had, starting with this Jaws movie. Oh my God. This, Close Encounters, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, holy mackerel. We'll, we'll forget that 1941 ever happened. But the other ones, my Lord, Spielberg, probably the best director of all time, has to be in the conversation. Certainly the most successful, certainly the most entertaining Certain level of quality to everything he did. Just like Belvedere Vodka, enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today. And remember to always drink responsibly. Belvedere Vodka, the, the uh, sponsor of On Shuffle, our music podcast that, by the way, is awesome. And you should subscribe to it. Hosted by Michael Peters. This week, he's talking about Drake, the new album that dropped. I think there were 130 songs in the new album. He breaks down all of them. It takes 20 hours. Check it out, though. On Shuffle, it's available Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back to Joss. Robert Shaw was such a nightmare on this set. And by all accounts, everyone's like, he was a sweetheart. But once he had one drink, watch out. First of all, that means you're an asshole. You don't get to be like, when you when he was sober, he was great. If you were drunk all the time. <laughs> he's like, he was sober, he was awesome. And then the next night, he was drunk every bit yeah. of the set. Uh he kept fleeing back to Canada for tax purposes. He couldn't stay in the couldn't United in States America for a certain for- amount of days or he would have to start paying U.S. taxes. Three wives, 10 children, dead at 51. Wow. And his liver probably died before that. Uh, <laughs> also in the, the Man set. for All Seasons and one of the best actors of all time. I tortured, love Tortured Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Richard Dreyfus just openly talks about it on the documentary about how mean Robert Shaw was to him. He said his fatal flaw was that he was the most competitive man in the world, Robert Shaw. Uh, He made anti-Semitic remarks to him. At one point, he started calling Dreyfus a coward, talked about what a coward he was, and he dared him to climb to the top of the orca's mast, which was 75 feet, (laughs) and jump off into the ocean. For which he would pay him upwards of $1,000. And Dreyfus kept saying no, and he kept raising the price. And finally, Spielberg intervened and was like, he's not jumping off the boat. We need him for the movie. This is like me. Drunk Robert Shaw just taunting him. This is me asking Chris last night how we're covering LeBron to the Lakers. You know, I'm like, just climb the mast 75 feet and dive off. Just publish every take. No, this is like when we're sitting around and you're like, I will give you $1,000 to tweet this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're trying to make it sound like you're not mini Robert Shaw it's my best there. bit. Yeah. I really, I really identify with Quinn. You're also you constantly are, you're drinking Shaw. Narragansett in the office. Yep. You're Robert, you're Robert Shaw slash Quint. We learned last week in the Rewatchables of Devil Wears Prada that Amanda's role model is Miranda Priestly. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that she loves the uh, boss bullying. 
Spielberg named the shark Bruce yeah. after his lawyer and called the shark Bruce for the entire shoot, which classic I was movie fantastic. trivia. Hold yeah. on to that. You'll answer it at like a bar trivia one night. It always comes up. Makes sense. They weren't going to call the shark Jaws. They're on the set of Jaws. The shark needed a nickname. The forward tracking zoom out shot when Brody realizes the Kintner kid is being eaten is called the Jaws shot now in film school. Do people even do that shot anymore? They should. It's so iconic. I love that I shot like, every time. I know, but I feel like you can't do it anymore because it's been it's it's almost like um, cliche. You know, it, it was just so masterfully used that time. Mythbusters, remember that show? Yeah. 2003 concluded. Brody, Brody's shooting the scuba tank could not work in real life. God damn it! I've been thinking that's <laughs> that's always my get out of jail. I'm like, if worse comes to worse, that I need to kill a massive beast. <laughs> I can always it. put an oxygen tank in its jaws and then. Don't shit. do it. We've learned. We're learned from MythBusters. If that's, ever I have to kill a massive beast, is yeah. that what you say? <laughs> the writer Neil Neil Gabler 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 he analyzed the film as showing three different approaches to solving an obstacle: science represented by Dreyfus, spiritualism represented by Quint, and the common man represented by Brody and nephew Kyle. I love the idea of a. a Drunk shark hunter representing spiritual. Yeah, how is it spiritual? <laughs> well, apparently, uh, he said the last of the three is the one which succeeds and endorsed by the film. The common man wins. Okay, I think that's some- kind of an overthink, but I like it. Yeah, that's kind of like science gets you th- three three quarters of the way there, and then the common man takes it the right. rest of the way. <laughs> this one shocked me. We well, we already talked about it in the book. Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife. Footage of the real sharks was shot by the Taylors, who kind of got a weird career out of this. Ron and Valerie Taylor, mm-hmm. the shark shooters. I remember seeing them on different weird shows. But <laughs> are those, aren't those the two people who are like, and right here is where a yeah, shark yeah. took a part of my abdomen. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm missing a leg right here. But uh, they wanted a great white to attack the cage. So they used a little person and put him in a miniature cage so he would seem much bigger or much smaller than the shark. They had a 14-foot shark. And Jaws is supposed to be 26 feet. So they put a little person in a little cage to change the proportions when they really? shot it. A little, yeah. a little reminiscent of fat fat guy in little coat, Tommy Boy. <laughs> Can I ask you guys but, a morbid question that we might wind up cutting afterwards? Yeah. You get bit by a shark. Yeah. Do you want it to take the limb or do you want like massive tissue damage, but you get to keep the that, limb? I want the limb. You want massive tissue damage? Yeah, I can recover massive tissue. I'm kind of like a clean break guy. That's what I was kind of thinking. Because when you see those shark attack pictures and it's like, this person survived. And I'm like, yeah, but that looks like a a wad of paper towels now where your bicep's supposed to be. Yeah. Shark scars are different than like cool knife fight. It's like shark scars are like, that's actually, you don't have anything there. It's just skin. I've only known one person in my entire life who would have had an answer for you instantaneously. Kevin Wilds. Mm. He would have been like, well, actually, Chris, should we call you don't that? want massive tissue damage. I almost feel like we should call him. Maybe at the end of the podcast, I'll call half, half, Half-baked half Jaws ba- ideas. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really feel like eaten. He, <laughs> he's the only person I trust. I just didn't want to disrespect anybody who survived a shark attack because I'm sure that's a very traumatizing experience. Yes. I'm just saying, personally, when I've seen those pictures. Don't get like, Sean get in your head. And no, he's not. I'm just saying like, that like, no, I'm not trying to criticize anybody Sean's who perseveres you. through such an event. I'm saying personally, take the arm. Chris, ever- I'll give you $1,000 if you tweet a poll <laughs> about this. <laughs> All right, 1200 <laughs> you pussy. <laughs> Quit. I wish there was a clip Jump of off the mast. 
Coward. <laughs> yeah, dry fast. So anyway, that cage attack, when they filmed it, it was so, the footage was so stunning that Spielberg decided, and what happened, there was nobody in the cage when they actually, the shark attacked it. The footage was so great, Spielberg changed the ending and Hooper lives. Because when he's attacking the cage, it wouldn't have worked because you couldn't have yeah. CGI'd Hooper in at that point. So single-handedly, that's how Hooper was saved. There's also a really cool thing. You know when the when the shark gets caught above the cage and he eventually pulls the rig down from off the boat? That's because the 14-foot shark that they were shooting actually did get caught in that space. And so brings that, it down. And pulled it down. So that was not what it was in the script. That's not what was supposed to happen in the story. And Spielberg also rewrote the movie like that. So that shot you see where the, the shark is kind of flapping around above the cage and it's caught there is a real shark. It's not... It's not um, it's not Bruce. $1,400. Tweet it, Chris. Tweet it, Chris. Tweet the poll. Be a man. This is a really good one. This might be my favorite piece of internet research that's half-assed. <laughs> Mrs. Kintner <laughs> couldn't figure out how to fake smack sh- Shider in the face. <laughs> and, and they decided she would just hit him each time. And she hit him. They did 17 takes. Oh, of her, her whacking Scheider in the face, and he said it was the most painful hour of his career. Just getting sick. That slugged. guy literally gets tortured in Marathon Man, doesn't he? <laughs> no, I think Hoffman does. Peter Benchley, thrown off the set. What? Yeah, after objecting to the climax. That's yeah. what my half assed research says. He, Peter Benchley makes didn't a like cameo the scuba in this diving movie. tank. He's the reporter who didn't like, didn't like the shooting of the scuba diving tank. Huh. Peter eventually wrote the first script, and then they were like, this isn't a He's good like, script. you guys took my mafia subplot <laughs> out. <laughs> Sean, uh, Sean probably knows this one, but initially the first time we were meant to see Quint was in a movie theater, him laughing and ridiculing and berating Moby Dick. And that was just how stupid it was and driving theater goers away. And yeah. That was our introduction to Quint. They needed Gregory Peck's permission. How does Gregory Peck own the own rights, the to, rights Moby Dick? to Moby Dick? I, who knows? And even weirder, he said no because he didn't like his own performance, Moby Dick, and didn't want it to be seen again. That's a whole other rewatchables. John Huston's adaptation of Moby Dick's not good. Do you find it rewatchable? No. Okay. <laughs> the unwatchables. Last but not least, my second favorite piece of uh, internet research. Spielberg observed at the first testing screening that the first surprise appearance of the shark that you mentioned got the biggest scream in the movie. And then he decided he wanted the one more scary and went and he did Ben Gardner's head. He noticed... Ben Gardner's head got the biggest scream because it became before we saw the shark. And then when the sh- when we saw the yeah. shark, it only got like half of the scream it got before. Spielberg said it taught him a lesson. A movie can only have one major scare moment because afterward, the audience will be on guard. Uh, S- Steve Spielberg, everybody. Is that still true? I don't know. I just Well, I think it. it's different now because most scary movies advertise half their scares in the trailers yeah. and the commercials. The audience is already on guard. So it's pretty tough. The home stretch. Apex Mountain. Roy Scheider? Yes. Pretty blanket yes on Roy no. Scheider. No? No. It's You're all that jazz. jazz. Yeah. I think it's jazz. Okay. Since I've known you, Chris, you've always been all that and all that jazz guy. Yeah, I, all that I jazz is like a criminally underrated movie from that time period. I think you're confusing best career moment with actual Apex. Okay. I think if you're Explain the difference. Apex is like he's... A guy who's a, not an A-lister, but a, a recognizable star who's been in some good things and now is in this movie that becomes the biggest movie of all time and sets him so up So this is to his do, career peak is what you're saying? Yeah. 
Yes. I can't believe we've done 25 rewatchables yet and we're still negotiating. I thought this, is this month. the best this person ever has been? No. It's career peak. We'll have to go back and re-record With a little podcast. bit of best ever. He's not nominated for Jaws and he is nominated for All That Jazz. Interesting. So you think All That Jazz is the culmination of the apex. He you proved that he was a real it's, actor. It's his last truly significant role. And it's the only one of these signature movies that he's in that he actually carries the entire film rather than sharing it with other people. Okay. Good case. Good case. No disrespect to Ben Vereen and all that Robert Shaw? No. Ah! <laughs> ah! You're gonna go, uh, what are you going to uh, say? Uh, <laughs> Phil's really committing to the reenactment. There's a, there's a number of other moments. There, Man for All Seasons is his best. Uh-huh. From Russia with Love. It's He's huge. fine in Russia with Love. Uh, the Sting? I think he's better in this. Okay. He's really good in The Sting. I love The Sting. He's great in The Sting. The Sting is really good and never on television and feels like it's... It's two years before Jaws and feels like it was like 30. Guys, you're overthinking this. Think about when they no, go into his little Jaws. barn it's and Jaws. he's just like, let me see your hands. You got city hands. You never worked a day in your life. You've been counting oh. money. <laughs> I was waiting for you to break out a Robert Shaw impersonation. <laughs> I've, I've been wanting you to say bad fish for a long time. Bad fish. Do you want to do bad an impersonation? Some kind of half-assed astronaut. <laughs> do you want to talk about Robert Shaw meeting Bono? <laughs> If we remake this movie, we got to go with Bono as Quint. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. President. There's a shark in these waters, sir. Maybe you're too busy caring about the oil in the desert. I don't mean to bug you. Uh, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus, no, but raises a good question. What was Richard Dreyfus's apex bound? Oh my God. This I is think your, it's close encounters. Be, you answer this one. I think it's close encounters. This is tough. He's had a lot of apexes. I'll tell you, I ride or die for Mr. Holland's I knew opus. you were going to say that. I fucking that. love that movie. I mean, that is definitely it's not, not the right answer. Um, it's not the right answer, but I love that movie. I'm, I think it's close encounters. I'm going to say, <sighs> shit, it must be close encounters. You could argue the Goodbye Girls, since know, that's I, like a shitty rom-com that somehow got everybody nominated for Oscars, and nobody would ever watch that big again. Big fan of What About Bob Dreyfus, too. Oh, he's good in that. What About Bob Dreyfus? Also, the bitter feud with him and Bill Murray. What, what is that they, about? Oh, they hated each other. I think Richard Dreyfus was like a major dick, because on SNL, they hated him, too. There's a lot of Richard Dreyfus might have been a dick stories out there. whole story about why he took this movie reveals what a dick he is. He like went to the premiere of a movie called The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, which was a Canadian movie. And he went up to Canada and he saw the premiere of the movie and he saw himself on the big screen for the first time. And he was like, oh man, I suck. And he had previously turned down Jaws when Spielberg asked him to do it. And he decided to do it because he was afraid he wouldn't get another job after the Duddy Kravitz movie. Dreyfus, I don't know. Not, maybe yeah, not, I'm not maybe sure not about Dreyfus. I think Robert Shaw was on to something. Get city hands. Jim, I'll give you 1400 you wuss. <laughs> What is the name of the knot that he get, tells him to, no, to tie? I'm not sure. Let me check. <laughs> could Janie Trejo have been in this movie? I mean, obviously. He should, should have been Bruce. <laughs> it's supposed to be a sheep shank, but in actuality, he ties a trumpet knot. Incredible. Danny Trejo could have played 20 parts in this movie and could have been Quint if this was a low-budget direct-to-video The Jaws. twist is if he plays Mrs. Kittner. <laughs> in drag. <Neil. laughs> What if he was Mayor Vaughn? Yeah. He could have been Ben Gardner. Ben Gardner, yeah, sure. Yeah. Severed. He's been a severed head before. 
That's true. Breaking Bad. The Joey Pants Award. Murray Hamilton is a great that guy. He's not a that guy if you're, I think, over 55. But I think for everyone under 40, yeah. he's just the mayor from Jaws. They good. don't even know what his real name is. Pretty good. Unintentional comedy. Anything? Like I said, I, I feel like <laughs> the, sh- the shark, when the boat is sinking and Quentin is being eaten, I kind of laughed. I have a new entry for the unintentional comedy that I didn't even know until I did the research. The next time I watch this, I'm really going to enjoy the Dreyfus, uh, Robert Shaw scenes, thinking of Robert Shaw just berating him and humiliating him between takes. One thing, <laughs> actually, hilarious. one scene that I always thought was really good, but then made me laugh a little bit when I just rewatched it, is when the, the Scheider's two sons are out on the water after the first attack, and one of them is in the boat tied oh, to the dock. The, he's looking at the boat. He's the looking book. at the book, and he's having a conversation with his wife. And he yells at his sons to get out of the water. And his wife is like, it's okay. He's got a new toy. You don't want him to be too scared. We want him to go in the water. And then she looks at the book and she sees an illustration yeah. of a shark biting a boat. And then it occurs to her that a shark could bite a boat. And she's like, Michael, go in the water. He looks at father. Go She starts yelling at the top of her voice because she saw an illustration of a shark biting a boat in an old book. Did she not know what yeah. sharks were? Um, that bad does bring bad up, job of her. This is, you know, it, unintentional comedy is usually something that's like we we think of as, oh, that's anachronistic or that would never happen or something. But I have to say that I, for some reason, always laugh when that guy in the boat comes up to help Danny once he's fallen in. Yeah. And he's just like, hey, you guys need a hand there? <laughs> yeah, not I, that many really <laughs> telegraphed deaths in this movie. Yeah. But that guy never had a chance. <laughs> that guy's like, hey, you guys fell in the water. Are you okay? Yeah, it was definitely like somebody who was the bartender at their favorite bar yeah, that they right. gave a speaking part to. And that actually is what the ride becomes. If At Universal Studios, it's that guy basically getting tipped over by the shark, right? Yes. That's yeah. this, they're basically recreating the pond scene. Right before the shark attack, there's a song playing on the beach and it's Olivia Newton-John's I Honestly Love You. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know whether that was intentional or whatever. I did the research on it. It was the it was that was her first hit. That was like three years before Greece. I don't know if they snuck that in to foreshadow the uh, terrible shark death and Mrs. Kittner loving her child or what was going on there. Picking nits, I think we covered all of these. Yeah. I still I just have a weird problem with Mayor Vaughn being sociopathically committed to keeping the beaches open. That just seems like a weird risk to take as a mayor of a small town. I'm pro Vaughn. Okay. I like I love his platform. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he looks out for business. <laughs> What's up with the woman who's uh people don't need to be policed, man. They can make their own decisions. <laughs> Let them swim. <laughs> All the stores were act- asking for it. Uh, best quote. Is there anything better than you're going to need a bigger boat? I couldn't think of anything. Uh, yes. Well, it's not better, but I I don't know where else we would put this. So I want to talk about when they're comparing scars. Oh. Uh, just because um, the low-key best line in this movie is when Dreyfus is saying, I got the creme de la creme right here. Hold on. You see that? And he pulls his Henley down. And his chest hair just sort of pours out of his shirt. Yeah. And and Scheider says, you're wearing a sweater. (laughs) And then he says, no, it's Mary Ellen Moffat. She broke my heart. It's just the best line, man. That's good. There's a t- there's a, there's like a million great quotes the, in here. But the whole scars. There's scene. a lot of great quotes. I'm just saying, you're going to need a bigger boat. The fact that it was ad lib by Scheider. Yeah. 
I it's also just, really like the iconic quote of the movie. It's actually the one of the most misquoted movie lines ever because everybody always says we're, we're going to need a bigger boat, yeah. but it's you're, you're going to need, need a bigger, bigger boat. boat. Yeah. I also really like uh, when Quinn gives them the um, the shot of of home liquor, home brewed liquor in the yeah. cabin and Shider takes it and spits it out. And then when Hooper comes up and tries to take the glass from me, he's like, don't drink that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the, I like before Hooper goes down into um into the cage. And he's trying to clean the fog off the lenses of his mask, and he says, "I got no spit." Yeah, and you're like, "Holy shit!" He must be so he's scared. so yeah. scared. That's such an effective line of dialogue. What was the last line of the movie? Looks what? like we're swimming, or what does he say? Yeah, it's like the tides the tides in our favor, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. He's like, "What day is it? Tuesday? Wednesday?" And he's like, "Tides in our favor," and then they start swimming off. Yeah, but the, I mean, every single line of dialogue in the Indianapolis speech is incredible. Eleven hundred men go in the water, yeah. you know all that. I thought about having Chris read the entire speech as Robert Shaw, but as Bono, <laughs> as, as Bono as Robert Shaw, Bono and the. Excuse me, Mister President. <laughs> do you remember a little boat called the USS Indianapolis? <laughs> Six hundred people. Uh, I forgot for unintentional comedy. Um, SNL did a great. Jaws parody sketch within probably six months of when this came out with Belushi as Richard Dreyfus. Are you serious? With it was the one of the original Land, Land Shark, Shark ones with yeah. Chevy Chase. And he's looking, remember the, the scene when Dreyfus is looking at the autopsy and it's like, oh, oh, gee, like he's like horrified. And Belushi does the same thing as Dreyfus, but on the table is just a it's basically like just a couple of appliances. <laughs> but there's no there's no sign of the body, and he just goes for it. And every time I see Dreyfus do that scene now, I think of Belushi, one of my favorite people. Do sharks really have such a slow digestive tract that like there's just like license plates and toasters in there? Well, let's find out. Let's go out to the ocean. <laughs> I don't want that Kittner boy falling out of the shark's stomach. Uh, unanswerable questions. Did Mayor Vaughn get reelected? <laughs> Did Mayor Vaughn get reelected was on my list. Let's explore. I'm going to say no. Probably not. Because I wasn't running his campaign. How would you have repositioned his platform after this event? We became a national talking point. <laughs> I threw us into the spotlight. Mm -hmm. We all healed together. We raised shark awareness. That shark terrorized us for one week. I worry about the other 51 weeks of us being in business. <laughs> this is great. Uh, <laughs> I, hey, I'm the one who hired uh, um, Chief Roger. Roger. Yeah. yeah. So you can give me... Credit for that. You left out one. If and they've never had a murder there. Except by Bruce. Yeah, but like not man-on-man man crime. Psychopathic shark. Yeah. How about if we had shut down the beaches on July 4th, that shark just would have come back the next exactly. weekend anyway. It just would have been July 6th. That shark's coming for it us was inevitable. at some point. It was inevitable. You Better can't we fight. got him now yeah. before yeah. six months later or whatever. Yeah. We, Did, uh, unanswerable question. Yeah. What the, what's what happens in Quint's life between 1945 and 1975? About 7,400 cans of Narragansett. <laughs> oh, way more than that. Yeah. But, okay, that happens. That's fine. You immediately had that math. What do you think we're at? You think we're pushing 100,000 pushing 100, with him? This is great. This is my kind of question. So 365 days a year yeah. for mm -hmm. 30 years. Case of beer a day? So that's he's living 10,000 days there. I think he's good for 10 to 15 drinks a day okay. every day for yep. those 30 years. 
So that's 10,000 times 15. So we're talking 150,000 drinks. Wow. So that was all he was doing. So that's the over Okay, so in between those 150,000 drinks, (laughs) because he watched 800 of his friends get eaten by sharks and killed. That's the thing. He's inspired to become a shark hunter. Yeah. And he develops this strategy around barrels to kill, to capture sharks and kill yeah. them. Does that, do you guys really understand what Quint was trying to accomplish there? Yeah, he's basically the like the shark is being pulled up to the surface so you can track it. Right, but then how are they going to kill it? With Shoot the harpoons. It. Just keep shooting it with the harpoon. Harpoon yeah. it to death. Yeah. Drag, in it, the, drag it into the shallows. Drown in the him. book, that's what they do. In the book, they harpoon the shark to death. We're going to drown him. Scuba dive. They added the scuba diving thing because it would make it more kind of a Hollywood ending. That's why Peter Benchley walked off the set. He was like, fuck this, man. We got to harpoon that shark. First of all, Hooper's supposed to be sleeping with Brody's wife. Yeah. Where's the mafia? He's so mad. Wow. Another unanswerable question. Did Jaws 2 happen? They're making the Halloween remake right now, and they're pretending oh. Halloween 2 and on never happened. No. It didn't, it didn't happen because I didn't like it. So I pretend that it doesn't exist. <sighs> so that's a personal choice. So would you, if you were, if you were going to do that, if you were going to make Jaws Two, but forget the sequels. Would you set it in 1978 or 1982, or like do like a Stranger Th- Stranger Things vibe where you were in the 80s, or would you be like it's back after after all this time? First of all, I thought your Netflix idea was really good. I'm Thanks, really man. proud of you. I'm proud to work with you and the growth you've shown over the last eight years. Is this is my really review? great. No, it's really good. That was a great idea. I was jealous of it. Second of all, I think Cobra Kai has showing a spotlight on how to do this. You don't remake the movie. You go back there 40 years later and you have ties into it. But the it. Jaws sequels have taken care of the Brody family. So do you- No, I think you have- I Mayor think you have, Vaughn's return. No, I think you have the youngest Brody is now the police chief. Right, Michael's 50. I think Alex Kintner's younger brother is like the vengeful evil mayor who secretly wants to destroy the town. Yeah. And then, uh, and then there's a shark. And we're good to go. Ten episodes. Sign me up. Return of Jaws. You're looking at me like I have the power to greenlight this. Well, no, what's your of level Jaws. of interest? Um, We've had Deep Blue Sea. We have the Meg coming. Like, there's never had, been a really, really good shark movie. No, since Open Jaws Water is really good. There have been some, a couple of good ones. There's, open there, Water is good, but I never would want to watch it a second time. I enjoyed it once. Wouldn't yeah, be like, that's oh, true. Cool, open Water is a rewatchable tonight. shark movie. Is hard to come by. Deep Blue Sea is is just out of control. I thought The Shallows was good, but would you rewatch it? Is that Blake yeah, Lively? Blake Lively. Yeah, I like that. I think it's that's her a, talking to a bird from That's a nifty movies. movie. That's a 40-minute movie that they stretch in a, an hour 20. I guess I would watch the Jaws sequel show. So it's not a remake. It's like Cobra, what Cobra Kai was. I know We're what picking you're up 40 years later. Maybe maybe there's a whole thing with Amity. is a totally different town now. It's gone totally commercialized like what we talked about before. Yeah. Be just true. rich people. The families have been knocked out. This movie just really lives and dies by the characters. It's got the shark. The shark's great. The tension's great. The music's great. The archetype of but, people is great. But yeah. I want to be there with Hooper and Quint and and and, and Chief Brody. Dreyfus is still alive. Maybe uh-huh. Hooper's the mayor. He's running the Oceanographic Institute at this point now. He's in charge. In Amity. Yeah. Maybe that would be like Hooper's moved back to Amity and all he does is dare people to jump off masts. <laughs> <laughs> For $1,200. Yeah. He's like, I'll give you $800 to jump off this roof. <laughs> I feel the same way about this idea that I did about uh, Cobra Kai. When I heard about it, I was like, I'm in. I'll try it. Okay. You know, it's like, in a, it's, it's like a Swedish meatball at a cocktail party. 
when the ladies walk around with the tray and sure. like, would you like one of these? All right, I'll try it. Like I would try the Jaws remake. That's not a remake, but like a 40 years later. The sea is terrifying, right? It's not dope. It's terrifying. Oh yeah, the sea is ridiculous. And I just think we can do better and come up with something new. Why do we have to go back to this story? I want, we don't have I want to go back stuff. to it. We can come up with a new one. Okay. I would love to see a natural effects sea movie soon. I feel like the last few that I've seen, like a drift, it's just usually really fake. Like the the waves yeah. are fake. Everything about it is kind of this felt so rooted in reality, even though it was, it was real. fake. But it was just like you just felt like these guys. And by the time they're shooting, I don't know when in shooting they did this, but when they're doing the stuff that's on the boat towards the end of the movie, the Indianapolis speech, the scars. You feel like those guys have been hanging out with each other for a really long time. They feel so familiar with each other. You watch the scene when they're getting drunk and you feel like the three actors are actually getting yeah, drunk. absolutely. And, I, and we've seen movies botch that and this one, it actually worked and it's probably been responsible for some botchings I, over the years. in college, probably ripped off while drunk with my friends the show me the way to go home thing 500 times. That was just a thing that people would do. We'd put the movie yeah. on. And you get drunk and you just start aping those guys doing that stuff yeah. and saying all the lines. It's like weirdly memorable in that respect. One other thing we forgot to mention, I think one of the biggest reasons this movie did well is it's the ultimate what would I do if I was in this situation oh, yeah. movie. You is know? it? No, just like we've all gone to the beach. Oh, what oh, would happen? Okay. We'd, would I go out there if there was a shark? Well, that, that's, would I let that's my kid go out there? And this is an interesting nitpick is Quinn really fucks them. You know, he destroys the radio. He is like, we're staying out here to get this right. fish. And those guys are like, I mean, Hooper is probably a little bit more like, I would. I want to get a look at it. But Brody's like, let's turn back around. Let's get the friggin' Coast Guard or whatever we have to do. But like, this is, we are in over our heads. So what, do you, what are you sort of proposing here? Is that you, you what, at what point are you making the decision? If I'm Brody? Or just like, are you saying it's, it tells you, it's like, you always are putting yourself in their position. So would you not get on the boat in no, the first place? No, I, I put my position more in just everybody's been to the beach and everybody wonders what's the worst thing that could happen. Oh, yeah. Whether it's like you get caught up in the undertow, you get attacked by a shark. It taps into what you were talking about earlier with just how it captures just going to the beach in some small town. And you it's kind of wild that like, and like what do, would happen if this goes wrong? I mean, the ocean probably kills more people than roller coasters, right? You know, it's like nobody, nobody, nobody's really, people get scared of the water, but like the idea that you just go and you're like, I'm just going to let my children go out into this thing that's this gaping maw of chaos. Yeah. That's wild that we do With that. With waves and currents and weird shit. Watching it again, I was thinking to myself, I'm really glad I'm not a boating guy. Really glad I'm one of those guys who's not like, let's all go out on the ocean for two hours. Like I, that's not, I have no interest at all. Yeah. You haven't had a good boat experience. I grew up on Long Island. I've had a lot of I boat get, experiences. Th there's a certain boat experience I think that's the sailboat thing scares me after sleeping with the enemy, watching what happened to Julie Roberts. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> there would be a boat channel, would be could there's enough boat movies a now. Boat I think. channel? Boat channel. Deadliest catch boats and that with stuff a Z. Is, Yeah. <laughs> there could be a prison channel, jails or bars with a Z. I feel one hundred percent confident saying directly to you that's not a good idea. The boats? <laughs> that's just not gonna What's on boats? Oh, perfect storm again. Yeah. What's on boats? <laughs> uh, last one. Who won the movie? That's the candidates. Spielberg. Robert Shaw. By the way, we've been doing the rewatchables now. I don't know how many we've done. We've, it's always been an easy answer. It's been down yeah, to Yeah, this one might people. be a little hard. 
This is the just the most people we've ever had for this category. Spielberg, Robert Shaw, Roy Scheider, Dreyfus, probably not, but it has to be mentioned, then John Williams, and then the shark. Who won the movie? I want to say Spielberg, but I and I think that it's sort of like winning any championship involves a lot of luck. So I think in this case, with, with while acknowledging all the things that broke right and wrong, you know, in this movie, it's Spielberg. It sets up his career for the next thirty years. It changes movies, and it's still to this day. We're, we could go through every movie that's set on the water. We could go through ninety-eight percent of the movies that have made since Jaws. He made the most rewatchable, ex, like entertaining movie of the last like 40 years, you know? And didn't get nominated because he went against the all-time directing gauntlet that's probably ever sure. happened in the Oscars. Who do you have, Sean? It's indisputably Spielberg. This movie, under someone else's stewardship, is a complete fiasco. And somehow, some way, he had enough artistic instinct to cut the edges every time. Every time he needed to cut the edges on something that wasn't working, he did it in the right way. Every little choice he made, the, sh- the shark's not working. We'll make it a movie about how you can't see the shark. You know, the score is too small. It's okay. It's effective. It'll work. This actor turned me down. It's okay. We'll go to this actor. You know, the script isn't working. We're going to have it rewritten by five times by nine people. Every single little thing he does works. And it, like, it literally invents the most historic director career ever. And he saved Richard Dreyfuss's life on the mast, 75 feet. <laughs> Dreyfuss might have jumped. Yeah. Tweeting, Shaw was coward. calling his man in. Um, I'm just going to quickly make the case for Quint. I agree with you that it was Spielberg. Robert Shaw, Quint. I would say it's a top 10 non-leading man character that we've ever had. Way up there. I can't imagine anyone else playing him ever in in Ameri- in any in the last 50 years, pulling anyone out and putting them in that role where the guy became Quint. He's just perfect. It's perfect casting. He seemed like he was a drunk, angry person. Turns out he was on set. On the late late 90s, early 2000s movie news message board, Ain't It Cool News, there was a guy who just went by the name Quint. Yeah. And he was a pencil sketch of the Quint character. And he would deliver news about like how X-Men was in development or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, But that's how iconic the character was, that somebody who was at the time an anonymous tipster about the movie industry was just Quint. He could be. He could stand alone that powerfully. It's a performance that could have really gone wrong in the wrong hands, or not been as powerful. Or, you know, I think I think other people could have played Scheider. I think other people could have played Dreyfus. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, other people could have directed the movie. I don't think they would have done it as well. But Quint, I think, is one of a kind. But I agree, Spielberg. You know, when you think, what was his age when he did this? Twenty six. 27, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We we rave about Ryan Coogler, and he's kind of the Spielberg for well, now. He's the closest thing I think that we arc. think we've had, right? But and Steven Spielberg was directing episodic television in Hollywood when he was 19. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had been training his he's whole life to do He's this. a prodigy. Yes. All-time prodigy. Yeah. Joss. So not the best movie ever, but the most entertaining movie ever. It's in my top three, no question. Most entertaining movie ever? Yeah, I think so. It's the movie that in the last 15 years I've probably watched, rewatched the most. We have a couple of like white whales, so to speak, still on the list that I feel yeah. like we'll have in this conversation. The other two that are on this are 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 the other two movies. My top three entertaining, the ones that we're waiting on. The only thing I would say about Jaws is from age six or seven, whenever you want to let your kids watch this for the first time, all the way to 90, 
can affect people the same Works ways. Works at any age. Yeah. yeah. It's a good call. ET's like that too, but I'm saying like the emotions this pulls out. Yeah. ET's sentimental. This movie isn't sentimental. You never are like, I'm going to skip this part of Jaws. You know why it's not sentimental? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the rewatchables. Thanks you for the rewatchables. We're back next week. Enjoy the 4th of July. All right, that's it for this special crossover edition. Again, if you want to subscribe to the rewatchables, all I have to do is go search for the rewatchables on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your podcast, it's there. Thanks to Gillette. Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy, regardless of his personal style, skin needs, or budget. It's the best. It's been the best since the early 1900s. Not a lot of companies can say that. Whether you want three blades or five, the Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors have you covered all under $10. That's high performance at a low price. Get Gillette performance delivered to your door. Find Gillette 5 at GilletteOnDemand.com. Subscribe today. We are going to be back at some point on Friday with a new BS podcast. Until then, enjoy your holiday. Talk to you soon.